All right, back again. Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, uh, hey, Corey. How's your Thanksgiving? We we missed last awesome. week because there's too much yeah, going on. It was really great. My wife and family put on quite the spread, so no complaints. I loved it. I loved it. Fantastic. Yeah, same here. We we hosted, so spent the the entire Wednesday cleaning the house and had a great great Thanksgiving. So but we hosted as well. So anyway, fun times. This week, Utah Senator Mike Lee threatened to shut down the government over President Biden's vaccine mandate. Uh, do you think there's any chance these mandates can be stopped? Yeah, so Mike Lee with a, a handful, well, two or three other Republican senators said that they were going to stop the government funding bill unless Democrats agreed to defund Biden's vaccination mandates. Then he went to the Republican lunch and the other senators were like, no, we don't want to do this. <laughs> this always turns out bad. Shutting down the, we're with you, but uh, shutting down the government always turns out to be bad. It's a bad tactic. It's it's proven to uh, be a complete loser. So he was uh, he was persuaded to go with a, a vote just to vote down um, government funding for well to defund the mandates, and that Democrats gave it to him because two Republicans weren't available to make the vote. So it lost forty eight to fifty, but. Yeah. In any case, like, as you know, like OSHA, the OSHA rule has already been stayed by the Fifth Circuit. That's it's at the Sixth Circuit now. And I think there's, you know, it'll it'll move to the Supreme Court and the federal contractor mandate has been enjoined, at least in Kentucky, Ohio and Tennessee. And the CMS rule has been blocked nationwide. That's for healthcare workers. And we saw that this past week here in Utah, IHC and Mountain Star have paused enforcement because they don't have to enforce it. Of course, I know I know some nurses who are excited about that because they don't want to get the shot. And I was like, well, you probably still are going to have to. <laughs> but uh, at least for now, there's a pause. Yeah. There's a pause. But however, the Supreme Court takes it up. That's I mean, the stay is the whole ball game. Next week, though, I wanted to say in uh, in Congress, there is a there is a, a tool called the Congressional Review Act where you can vote down a regulation within six months of the regulation being promulgated. And I think there are the votes in the Senate because it's a it's privileged, so the Democrats can't stop it, and you only need a majority vote. and And Joe Manchin has already said he's going to vote for it, so there are 51 votes in the in the Senate to strike down the the mandates. The downside is there's not the votes in the House, and even yeah. even then, uh, the president has to sign it. And of course, the president's not going to sign something yeah. to kill his own rule. But well, um, two two thoughts here. Number one, Biden has been successful in court enforcing his mandate as Trump was with his election challenges. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the, the, the second thing I wanted to say was um, I don't know what it is with Mike Lee and government shutdowns. I'll never forget. I was at a meeting at the Alta club in October. Uh, so uh, Mike Lee had won the primary. So I think this was 2014 or 2010. Mike Lee had won the primary, but we were still a month from the general election. We had this meeting with all these business leaders from the Salt Lake Chamber, and Mike Lee stood up and basically told the whole room how excited he was. This is before he was actually elected. It was just a formality, but before he took office, how excited he was to go back to Washington, D.C. and shut down the government. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, this is the last thing these business leaders wanted to hear. Uh, because that's not good for the economy. It's not good for business to shut down the government. But here we are 11 years later, and he really hasn't changed. And 
and he has, you know, he and Ted Cruz uh, were successful in shutting it down for a little bit back in what, 2013. Um, yeah. It really hurt our uh, businesses that survive on the national parks because that was also in October and that was prime tourist season. Um, I like a lot of things about Mike Lee, but this fascination with shutting down the government, I mean, look at, I'm a strategist. If there's, if there's something we're going to get out of it, then sure. But if it's just <laughs> shutting it down for the sake of shutting it down, that doesn't seem to be working. So. Yeah. I think that's where the other Republican senators came yeah, down. It's like, Hey, we're good. with you on this, but if you shut the government down, it's just a loser. We're going to, it's going to hurt yeah. us electorally and politically. And, and just so everyone knows when the government reopens, they repay all the employees. Oh yeah. They just get home. time off. Yeah. They, what we're doing is we're giving all of the federal government workers um, a free paid vacation when we shut down the government. We don't actually save any money. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when Trump shut it down for a month and a half, uh, they all got back pay. They didn't have to yeah. work for a month and a half. Is yeah. that what we want our federal government workers? I you know, so. I'm not sure they're working that hard to start with. But <laughs> we shut it down. Okay. All right. So uh, last Sunday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the great went on Sunday talk shows and declared that any criticism of him is anti-science because, as he said, I represent science. Todd, is Fauci just there at this point to speak to his fan club, or are there any people left in America who could actually be persuaded by what he has to say? You know, I, uh, let me answer it this way. Early on, I mean, within the first month, I started hearing kind of Fauci haters, and I'm like, why are they picking on this guy? He's just, uh, you know, he's just trying to do his job. But, you know, I've seen some clips and I, I'm sure you have too, Corey. Uh, I mean, you know, like the Daily Wire and others have put together and you can just go through every statement he's made. He's made a contrary statement <laughs> in the last 18 months. Um, yeah, I, I master think, bad, master good. I yeah. think he's lost. Uh, I, I mean, there are, he's got his fan base, right? Um, there are people that still hang on every word, uh, but I, I really think he has hurt his credibility because, um, you know, his decisions, his statements seem to be more political than they are medical or, or science based. And I fundamentally disagree, especially when he is when he's just uh, spouting off Biden's talking points that that to criticize him is to criticize science. And, you know, it's, it's funny that science, not funny, it's ironic that science has become so politicized because on one hand, you know, we hear a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats saying, follow the science. On the other hand, when it comes to, you know, men having babies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not supposed to follow the science. Birthing so people. It, okay. It, Todd, it, birthing it, people. It, it is, not men. It, it can get confusing at times. That's all I'm saying. So, I mean, it's pretty next level that you, that he would say that he represents science. I mean, yeah, come on. And I, I agree with you at the very beginning of the, the pandemic, I think Fauci was, was helpful and he was out front and he was, he was a good voice. And it, but I, I think he's way overstayed his welcome. And on the, on the Sunday talk show, I mean, not, he's not only says he's science, but also he's, he quickly turned it into a partisan fight by blaming Ted Cruz for January 6th. And you're just kind of like, is that what you're saying? I mean, pretty ridiculous. And the fact is that Fauci did mislead Congress about NIH involvement in gain-of-function research. That's he absolutely did. And I know that Rand Paul has been very, very critical um, on Fauci from day one. But as I've been tracking things from a neutral perspective, Rand Paul's been right 
a lot more than yeah. he's been wrong yeah. on fights he's picked with Fauci, but Fauci can never admit that he's wrong on anything. And for those that want to paint Fauci as an egomaniac, he seems to give them a lot of fodder. It's <laughs> a good way to say it. So, yeah. so Chris Stewart has the Fauci Act that some people may yeah, have heard of, and of course acronym. the Salt Lake yeah. Tribune hates it because you know. But it's uh, Fairness and Accountability and Underwriting Chinese Institutions Act. I mean, it's kind of a stretch to try to get Fauci. But anyway, the legislation would ban U.S. funding for gain-of-function research in China. Remember, we've talked about this before, but gain-of-function research is essentially taking, finding bugs, you know, looking for bats in caves, finding bugs that they have. And then just playing with them a little bit and see if we can it's more dangerous. Yeah. yeah, more dangerous or more effective. And so and then what what can they learn from it? Yeah. And, and so it, it looks like what they learned from it is we can spill it out into the world and kill millions of people. But anyway, so this the Stewart's Fauci Act would uh, ban that and restrict uh, government officials who intentionally mislead Congress. I think, you know, it's uh, I, I'm not sure that I necessarily love like. I think it's, uh, I'd rather he didn't go call it a Fauci act, but I do totally yeah. agree with everything that he's got going on here. And certainly um, Fauci, after two years of this, has worn out his welcome and he's only speaking to, you know, those people who are already persuaded. And at this point, I think he, if I was the administration, I would pull him because he's, he's actually yeah. not helping it. I'm with you 100%. I'm, I'm a big Chris Stewart fan. This is not my favorite thing that he's done. Not, not that I disagree with the policy, but this is something that, probably seemed really funny, you know, on the drawing table. And that's probably where it should have stayed in terms of, <laughs> um, but you know, um, I don't want to be judged by my mistakes either. So in any event. Okay. So um, Mitt Romney uh, led a round table on the childcare provisions in the democratic huge spending bill. Corey, if the Build Back Better bill passes, it would have a it would be devastating for local child care providers. Have you looked into this at all? Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, basically, it would make ch child care much more expensive. It would more than it requires basically doubling the wages and regulating it into oblivion. <clears throat> you need new licensing regime, new licensure requirements. Essentially, you'd have to be an elementary school teacher, almost get another degree similar to elementary schools, it creates, you know, new barriers to entry because you have to have all these different layers. I mean, it's kind of like in cosmetology where, do, I mean, is it so dangerous to cut hair that, that you have to go through multiple layers and years? I mean, you want that training. Okay. But uh, I, I hate when they create, when government legislatures Todd, create uh, barriers to entry and just make it more difficult when it doesn't help the public at all. So yeah. this creates new criteria that's dictated by the federal government which would make it almost impossible for just someone who wants to tend kids on the side to make a little extra money. It would make it almost impossible because if you want the government funding, if you want the government uh, subsidy, then it has to uh, comply with, you know, the load child to staff ratios, the new educational requirements, which are thick, new regulations to make it harder to get in the, to get in the game. And it basically crowds out any of the, many of the alternatives that most families would turn to, you know, like, maybe a friend helping or maybe a neighbor or something like that. Romney had a great quote on this uh, during the session. He said at ages two, three, and four, they are not learning multiplication tables. They're learning values. We don't want the federal government stepping in and telling families, states, and churches, like, here's the values that you need to teach. Here's what you need to teach. So 
I mean, this is what what's happening is government federal the Democrats want to take one more big step towards government controlling every aspect of your lives. Now they're going to um, control child care and who can who can who can care for your child. They are ex- making it. Uh, they're prohibiting churches and religious institutions from providing daycare. So they essentially just want they want their own unionized workforce to be the new child care providers. This is going to create shortages. I mean, it's great to pay more, but it also means it's going to create shortages. It's going to make it more difficult. So all of these people that uh, that are supposedly are going to get the subsidy is going to be almost impossible for them to actually find someone to do it. So, and it also creates a disincentive to work because the more you get paid, the, the less a child care subsidy you get. So I think it's pretty much a disaster from start to finish. Yeah. So the Build Back Better bill, a, it's it's not going to pass the Senate because uh, uh, Manchin and um, Kristen Simina uh, have said they're not going to support it. So as long as they stick to their guns, it's it's not going to pass. But it does have two components that affect us here in Utah. The one is called the Birth Through Five Child Care and Family Learning Entitlement Act. That that appropriates $20 billion in fiscal year 2022. That goes up to $30 billion in 2023, $40 billion in 2024. And then it just says such sums as may be necessary for 2025 through 2027. So that's basically a blank check. But Corey, I want to tell you there's a second component to Build Back Better, and that is the universal preschool requirement. And that does require a state match for each year after 2024. Mm. And so what what the proposal is, is they'll fund that universal preschool requirement through 2024. But beginning in 2025, they only pay for 90%. uh, So the state of Utah would have to pick up 10%. And then 2026, the federal component drops to 80%. And then to 70% in 2027 and 60% in 2028. And then it's all on the state after that. So this is a huge um, unfunded mandate for the universal preschool where, um, so the Democrats will tell you, oh, it's not going to cost the states anything. Well, that's true for two years. And then by 2029, it's 100% on the backs of the state. And oh, it's completely to- dishonest. They know states are not going to yeah. do that. So they know that, the, that they're, yeah. they, what they want to do is turn around and come back and put more federal money into it. But they don't want yeah. the big dollar figure now yeah. because Manchin won't vote for it. So it's, it's, just- it's like Kamala Harris says, it won't cost anything because it's already paid for, <laughs> which is, I, by my account, is, it's a double lie. But in any event, <laughs> we ha- just so you know, we have about 96,000 uh, three and four year olds about, uh, well, our estimates are, we have 47,648 three-year-olds, 48,726 four-year-olds. That's for uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. And those numbers, um, they actually drop a little bit over the next five years. But even in 2027, um, we have about 93,723 three and four-year-olds. And so you're talking, you know, when, when you're paying 100% of that, if you're paying 100% of preschool for 90 4,000 kids. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. You need to build more schools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So this week, the big news federally is the Supreme Court heard oral argument in the Mississippi abortion case. This is something that we've talked about a little bit. Todd, I don't know if you paid attention, but uh, if you did, did the court give us any clues as to how they would likely rule? Mm-hmm. How long do you have? I, I watched the oral arguments and, um, you know, we have nine um, Supreme Court justices. We have three that I would put in the very conservative camp. And that is um, uh, actually Gorsuch is maybe a stretch, but um, the other two are 
help me out here, Clarence Thomas and um, Alito. Alito. And then we have three that I put in the very liberal camp, and uh, that is uh, uh, Stephen Breyer, uh, Sotomayor, and um, Elena Kagan. Um, Sotomayor um, is was basically acting like a pro-abortion activist uh, during during the oral arguments on yeah. Wednesday, which I think yeah. for a sitting Supreme Court justice is not only ridiculous, it's embarrassing for the court. And, and then the three in the middle, and, and this, is, this is where all of the intrigue is, is Amy Coney Barrett, because she's so new, we really don't know where, where she stands. And of course, Brett um, Kavanaugh, and we know he likes beer, and we think he doesn't like abortion. Uh, and of course, John Roberts, who um, has surprised conservatives consistently since he was appointed. My guess is, and it's just a guess, but uh, clearly, I, I don't think they're going to strike down the <coughs> Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. And um, I don't think they're going to overrule Roe versus Wade. And it's really Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Most people don't realize this, but Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it was a 91 or 92 decision of the, of the U.S. Supreme Court. It really uh, fundamentally changed uh, the dynamics of Roe. So we all talk about Roe versus Wade, but it's really Casey uh, that is in effect today. What we'll do, and I think it'll be led, it'll be a decision authored by uh, John Roberts is my prediction, is it or refuse to strike down the Mississippi 15-week ban, but also not overrule um, all of Roe or Casey. What I think it'll do is Casey basically has a viability test, which is changing with medical science, but it's about 22 weeks now. So I think they're going to say, well, 15 weeks is close enough. I think uh, you, you could be right. Although, I mean, obviously the the Chief Justice Roberts, he was definitely hunting for a new a new standard. Whether uh -huh. 15 weeks could work, whether the undue burden could move from uh, from viability to 15 weeks. But both both counsels, both the Mississippi and uh, and the solicitor, I mean, Gorsuch asked Biden's solicitor whether a new standard outside of viability was workable, and she just basically said no, no, can't go there. So you have both sides basically saying you either need to uphold or you need to strike down. There is really no middle ground. And uh, Kavanaugh was like, well, the Constitution is neutral on abortion. I think, the, I think a lot of uh, liberals were hoping that Kavanaugh would go that direction, but he, he was saying the Constitution is neutral. Shouldn't we return to neutral? And, uh, and when it comes to Barrett, I mean, she, her questions were along the lines of, well, couldn't adoption be an option if we're talking about the, the undue burden of having a child? And so I think... I don't know. I'm not sure Roberts is going to find any takers. He might. You might be right. He might be right that he finds he finds a taker or two. But there may be already five votes. Um, to yeah. Break it down. So. And the interesting thing about the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision was it was a plurality of the court. So you had like three justices joining in this part and three different justices joining in that part. And and it, it was fragmented Mess. Yeah. about yeah. 17 times. And I'm I'm barely exaggerating. Um, but I just want to tell you, Corey, I want to tell our listeners as a lawyer, um, the Roe versus Wade decision is not founded on the Constitution. So remember that the Constitution basically reserved all power not expressly given to the federal government to the states. And so um, what the Roe versus Wade decision said, uh, the founding fathers intended for women, pregnant women, to be able to terminate their pregnancies and that is such a fundamental right protected by the Constitution that states can't 
um, they, they can't legislate in that area, which is, you can read the constitution forwards, backwards, upside down, and you'll never find any language in there that talks about a third trimester, which is what was the Roe Ro versus Wade said you could um, you could have an abortion before the third trimester, and then that changed to viability in the Casey uh, uh, Planned Parenthood decision. But the last thing I want to say is, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, we've got about 20 states, including Utah, that I expect would prohibit abortion, which means another 30 states would allow abortion. And I think this is, I don't know if you know this, Corey, but before Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973, um, states like California and New York already allowed abortion, very liberal abortions. Um, so I, I believe that the, the Roe case came out of Texas. So the Supreme Court was basically saying, even though a woman in Texas could have hypothetically gone to New York or California to get an abortion legally, that, uh, that, that because it was such a fundamental constitutional right that Texas couldn't say that a woman couldn't get, into, uh, you know, could could not get an abortion in Texas. So if Roe versus Wade is overturned, a woman in Utah who wants a divorce abortion may have to travel to California. I'm sorry, to Colorado or to uh, Nevada or maybe even Arizona, depending on what those states do. But it's not all of this rhetoric that we're going to return to back alleys and hangers, and th that's that's just not true. And, and that wasn't true before Roe was decided. Yeah. All right. That's a good note to end on, I think. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Good stuff. See you next week.